everybody, and welcome to That's Life, the show where we have finally started leaving our jackets at home, but we're not throwing an outdoor block party just yet. Good afternoon, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, and general manager here at the Nachman Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 2 p.m. as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. Coming to you from the home of the Nachum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side, I am joined by my first time in a long time handy dandy partner, Avrami. What's up, Avram? How are you? We actually did have our um, welcome to New York first barbecue this week. <laughs> you so. did not. Yeah, totally. Are you serious? Yeah. People posted pictures all over Facebook about what they've been doing and whatever else, enjoying the final turn in the weather. The other day, I think it was Tuesday, when I came to the Lower East Side and I walked by the Emigrant Savings Bank, which is, of course, notoriously known for an imp- a, uh, inaccurate thermostat. It was 100 degrees, according to the... I'm like, all right, relax yourself. It's well, not 100 degrees. We are having record-breaking temperatures in Baltimore. Really? Record-breaking. Like how high? I think they said it was like high 80s. Really? They said it's July weather, and we're having it now. So, But I'm not complaining because I complain all winter, so as soon as it gets warm, no matter how warm it gets, I don't complain. And I tell other people to not complain because that just ushers back the cold weather. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that on Tuesday when I was... I had a, a meeting with Ellie Hagler, and of course, I mean, he can't have this show anymore without mentioning Ellie Hagler at least once. And uh, Ellie Hagler and I come out of the building that we were in, and everyone's, like, sitting outside. It's midtown Manhattan. Everybody's enjoying the sun. And he's like, ugh, I hate the summer. <laughs> I can't wait for it to be 40. I'm like, Ellie, it was 42 days ago. Just relax yourself. It's been it's been nice, you know, for about five hours. He's like, ugh, I don't like sweating. Um, all right, you know what? I'm like, enough. He's such a curmudgeon. It don't was... tell Nachum about this, because Nachum's a big summer guy, a big warm weather I guy. I know, I know. And where did I go on my honeymoon? Alaska. I like cold. I like cold. But even though I liked cold, it was enough. It was enough. Was it cold in Baltimore, Beyonceff? Um, I was actually here in Muncie the second day. Oh, that's right. So it was okay. I think it was overall Yom Tov, I think it was very nice. We had snow on like air of Yom Tov, so we right. weren't sure which of our seders we would make or not make. And uh, I was supposed to help someone to uh, the seders in, in a wheelchair. And I was like, how am I going to push a wheelchair in the <laughs> in snow? The snow. But by the time Yum Tov came and everything, everything was fine. So I posted a picture on Facebook of my snow boots and said they were my new Pesach shoes because that's what we do in New York. Anyway, if you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. And if you are a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. Why am I missing? Oh, there that is. Oh, shoot. I was just missing an email. And there it is, which, of course, goes to the next thing. If... Miriam L. Wallach, once a week, is just not enough for you. Do what Marcella Rosen does. You can friend me on Facebook or send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, miriam at nachumsegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. Not being rude. I'll respond to you afterwards. Please, God. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, nachumsegelnet. It's all one word. Let's go to our favorite segment of rum. Don't worry. I sold this chametz over Yantif. Yes, I did. It's our. For- Do you like the new box for our fortune cookies? I saw that before. I- yeah. Okay, do you like the box for the fortune cookies? Yeah, it's Thank fine. you very much. That's all I'm looking for is a compliment. Oh, this one's broken. You want it? it breaks Not the without rule. some lo mein attached to it. It breaks the rule. I'm actually feeling Chinese today, i got to tell you. And by that, I meant that I'm feeling Chinese food, not that I'm feeling, you know. Um, what's it called? Hold on. Here we go. Crackle, crackle. This is going to make a mess, and I just posted that on Facebook about keeping the studio clean. Here we go. Your good listening skills will open many doors. Well, isn't that funny? All right, I'm gonna. You know what? I like the fact that I got this and Nachum didn't. I opened. I, that was terrible. I opened a fortune cookie for him the other day, and he's like, "I like that one. That's nice." I'm like, "All right, you can have that one." But I'm happy I got this one. This is good. Yeah. Who? You know what? And by the way, it's 100% true because how did they find me at Fox? Somebody heard my show. I know. I know. You think people think that it's just a uh, small network down here, but no. There are ears all over the place. Let's take care of some business. Let's take care of our national holidays. There are some good ones. By the way, Avram, you missed National Rat Day. Actually, it was World Rat Day. I don't think I really missed it. I just want to tell you, we were here and we were celebrating. Something related to that uh, happened uh, when I was in the uh, shul on the Lower East Side. No! Oh! (laughs) Did you uh, hear about our pizza store? No. Did you walk by it and note? Oh, well, you walk by it at 5.30 in the morning. Yeah, it's closed. Right. Um, but it ain't, it's not reopening anytime soon. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, no chilling for you on Thursdays. 
No, I go to the meat chalant place. That's what the <laughs> problem is more the eggs and the fries yeah, in the morning. No, sorry, buddy. It seemed that it was closed before Yuntif and yeah. uh, the um, how shall how shall I say the chances of it reopening seem seem to be slim. And I don't think that they closed for monetary reasons. Vaha Maven Yavin. You understand what I'm saying? So maybe uh, someone else will come down and open a uh, really good pizza store down here. Yeah. Or or what? Somebody can just clean it up, and you know, someone else can open it. That too. Yeah. It's a barbershop quartet day. Um, I haven't found any barbershop quartets throughout Manhattan while I've been walking around here today, so I don't think anybody's celebrating. And please do not find a clip. I know you're looking at me funny. Well, I was thinking because of the relationship to Sphera and the Barbershop Quartet and right. the whole acapella thing. Except I it's think a good that, time for it. Yeah. Oh, and I was going to say a barbershop, a barbershop quartet may bring us too much joy. We don't want to be listening to that during Sphera or any other time for that day. It's also National Pet Day. If you have a pet, love your pet today more than any other days. And it's World Parkinson's Disease Day. Um, Yael Lassen mentioned in her notes to me that her grandfather had Parkinson's. My uncle is presently suffering from Parkinson's. And that is definitely the word. So um, I wish him a complete Rufua Shlema. And although we will not be covering Parkinson's later in today's show, we will be covering Lou Gehrig's disease and hearing one woman's story about um, her recent diagnosis and the genetic testing that is going on uh, within the Ashkenazi community, community to find a link between ALS and um, and ortho, modern Orthodox Jews of Ashkenazi descent. It's actually very interesting. But before we do that, before we do that, we're going to talk to a good friend, a repeat guest here at That's Life. Honestly, any excuse I can find <laughs> to have Coach Alpert from the YU Max come back downtown. I, I mean, I'm sorry that Coach Rice had this whole insanity up at Rutgers, and I'm sorry that his his uh, students went through all that, but it gave me an excuse to call you. So thanks for coming, Coach. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Totally my pleasure. You know, it was the article in the New York Times um, on the op-ed page by Charles M. Blow, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal writer whose articles I usually don't understand because they're way above my head, called Calm Down Coaches, that prompted me to be in touch with you. And it, he, he, he talked about a lot of things, um, but, one of the, uh, but one of the lines in the article, which I pulled up, that I wanted to that made me, as soon as I read it, I'm like, that's it, i got to have Coach on. He writes, the good coach must not only be the model, but must teach our child athletes that there is a line between demanding and demeaning that no one who truly cares for others would cross. What happened when you saw all the footage that was uh, all over ESPN and everything else? Well, you know, the story uh, exists on many levels. It's the obvious level and then it's a little more subtle. So I had, a, I had a lot of reactions to it. The first reaction was the most obvious one with that, you know, this coach is way across the line. Um, you know, that's, you know, the standing rule is you don't right. put your hand on anybody else's kid. Right. I'm not even sure you put your hand on your own kid. <laughs> right. So, you know. But that's that, the parenting, uh, you know, show we're going to have later. Well, that's, you know, that right. goes to a bigger, bigger question, a larger question. So right. clearly that, that was my first reaction. And I must tell you my second reaction, and let's make sure everyone's clear on this. I think he should have been fired. However, my second reaction to it is that he was lynched. Really? Yes. I think the wow. The, I think he is the product of uh, what I would call the YouTube, mm. you know, video lynching. This was no different than what happened 200 years ago when people acted out of emotion, threw the rope over the tree, hung the guy. Right. And the real investigation here took place in December. Now, you could debate whether the outcome of that investigation, but that was a real investigation. It took a couple of weeks. They sat down. They took a look. They reviewed, so on and so forth. What happened here was just uh, YouTube went on. You see, YouTube generation has no time for context and, right. has, and has no space for context. Absolutely. So you, took a, you look at a video that was edited, and it gave, the, it gave obviously, the visions there are, are horrible. And accurate. I'm not saying they're not right. accurate. They're not doctored. However, they well, they are edited to the extent they're that they're edited, but they're not doctored. That's correct. Okay. Edited, but they are edited to the extent that it appears that in one practice he kicked through the ball, screamed, yelled. It looks like he was doing it every 30 seconds, which I guarantee you right. he was not doing. Again, let me make sure everyone's clear on this. I don't. I still think if I was making the decision back in December, I would have fired him in December. Right. You're not condoning his behavior. So I just. So that was my second reaction to it. Was is that. This guy just just got lynched by uh, people's uh, people's raw emotions, and the fact that there was no one gave any time for context. 
to it. And I think the, uh, I think the original investigation back in December was a much more thorough investigation. But unfortunately, my second rea- third reaction was you have a cowardly president mm. and you have politicians acting like politicians. Um, so those are my immediate reactions. And when I stepped back and thought about it a little bit, I, it, it, what's the context? I was about to say, I was about to say, out of everything you just said, let's take a second and talk about context. A, what does the context matter if he's throwing a ball at somebody or using an epithet or laying his hand on somebody? Why would the context matter? That's A. And B, if one, if one uh, time, one issue occurred, okay, then there might have been a context and then there's an infraction. But there's a repeat offense here. And even though these YouTube videos, and you're right, 100%, not only does, does no one, everyone jumps to conclusions and everyone is judge and jury in about four seconds or less. I agree with you wholeheartedly. There is a repeat offense here. This is something that was not an isolated incident. This was going on. So it might have been, unfortunately, you know, a Warner Wolf kind of 20-second, you know, highlight reel at night where they put together all these different abusive behaviors. But nevertheless, they occurred. They didn't occur in one um, vacuum. They occurred over a, a length of time. So how much does context really matter? Well, okay. So there's a, the answer to your question is, Context only matters because it gives you a sense of it only happened once or it happened many times. In this particular case, it happened many times. So therefore, context, it only matters because it brings more substantial proof that he should be fired as opposed to this one-time incident where he just lost it for one time. But over the past three years of his coaching life and hundreds and hundreds of practices and engagements, it never happened before. So that's that's why it's important. Only in, in terms of Again, stating the case, doing the investigation, and doing full dil- diligence on a person's career and a person's livelihood. Context matters a lot more. In physical abuse, it's pretty. It's it's cut. It's nothing to talk about. When you watch the video, there, it's it, that that's inappropriate. It has to be. The coach has to be dismissed for that. There's nothing to talk about. It has to be reviewed, but it has to be dismissed. But there is all kinds of abuse. So, is his yelling abusive? Is his screaming abusive? Um, so that and that depends on that that depends on context because and pl- time and place. So, for example, if you're teaching English in a classroom and student does X, right? Okay. So, and the teacher yells at the yells at the student, is that verbally being verbally abusive? You don't know how you don't you. I've been teaching you grammar for the last three months and you still don't know where to put the sentence right. and so on. What, what what's what is wrong with you now? So. Again, so there it's, it's, it, it, as opposed to in a coaching situation, a 30 second timeout with a minute, with, you know, 48 seconds to go in the game, the coach stands up and, 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 and maybe even puts his hands on the kid's shoulders and, and, and looks right into his face and says, listen to me, you have to listen to what I'm telling you to do. You have to go right. You can't go left. Right. That's well, different. So, right. But that's all about context. Right. But again, but, and, but that again goes back to the original line between demanding and demeaning. Correct. At that point, it's a put up or shut up moment. This is, this is game time. I, you know, your coach in, in that kind of a context is definitely focusing the athlete, focusing the player, making him, you know, truly understand the gravity of the moment. But it's not a practice. It's not a practice. You know, it's, it, there's just, there's so many different ways to look at this. I was watching Miracle, which is a movie I constantly reference about Herb Brooks and the 1980 U.S. Um, Olympic men's um, hockey team. And it's a movie I watch constantly a because it passes the time while i'm at the gym and b because it's a fascinating study of character it really is now i never knew coach brooks i have no idea if this is a real accurate portrayal of him as a human being but in terms of the the um the lines that he potentially crossed a number of times in that movie alone as a character you there were definitely moments where i flinched there were definitely moments that i looked i'm like wow that's that's really either just crossing the line or coming way, way too close. And at the end of the movie, they got him. They got him as a coach. They appreciated his style because they finally jived. And then I read this article called I Loved My Abusive Coach by David Plotz. It was just posted last week. It's on Slate. And it says, he berated me and threw things at me. He also made me a better player and a better man. Like, is somebody going to turn around and say, Coach Rice, Mike Rice, I mean, I wouldn't be the man that I am today if it wasn't for the fact that he had completely demoralized me? Is somebody going to say that? Absolutely. Oh, my God. 
because you have you have players out there today. If you interview them about who played for Bobby Knight, right. who I guarantee you was and my, or and by the way, the very well revered Rick Pitino, and the very well revered Mike Shashevsky. Right, also. but but let's take Bobby Knight because his he did it much more in public. Right, and, I was about to say the, his the reputation right. preceded him. Well, the, his the players who played for him, oh, will swear by him. So, which comes to the bigger question, the broader question, which I which I always always found much more fascinating, and that is, so how do you teach? How do you get kids to listen to you? Whether you're a teacher of Chumash or the other end of the spectrum, basketball, how do you get kids? To listen to you and, and so much time, we spend so much time talking about style of coaching. And I don't think we really ever get to the idea of how kids learn because there are many people out there who will tell you there are two elements to learning. There's an element of, uh, of understanding, but there's also an element of fear. You know, we're supposed to love God, but we're also supposed to fear God. So the, the element of fear enters into, enters into the equation. So the question is, how do you actually get kids to follow? Now, you know, and when I say style, so for every coach that, if you yell, if you're a yellow and a screamer, that's just, that's just stereotype here. If you're a yellow and a screamer, not selling you abusively, but just a yellow and a screamer, right. and your team wins, then you'll be, then people will say the following. That coach knows how to, how to, imp, how to teach and how to get his kids to play, and mm-hmm. those kids are disciplined. Now, next year when that same yellow and screamer loses, <laughs> what they'll say about the coach is he can't relate. Kids have turned them off. They don't listen to him anymore. Right. He has to go. And flip it, the more sympathetic teacher, to use the st- to stereotype, right. okay, uh, will be, if he wins, knows how to relate, knows how to teach. Kids respond to that. They love the coach. He's a player's coach. If he wins, that's what they say. The day he loses, doesn't, there's no discipline. These kids are out of control. They don't listen. You know, he doesn't listen because he's not, he's not tough enough. You know, he, you know what he plays have said to me over the years? For his, said to me, Coach, you have to yell more. Coach, you have to yell more. You don't Coach, yell Coach, you have to yell more? Right. Which players say that to me? Israelis. Why? Really? Because they've come out of three years of the army. Oh. But all they do is get yelled at. Now, if I was to yell. That's unbelievable. And I guarantee you, the kid down the block who went to Rambam. Right. Has never ever said to me, Coach, you got to yell at me. Yeah, man. he's freaking out. So again, it's a it's style, you know. How do you do it? I, you know, not to not to. I mean, I'm going to put a plug in here. It's, it's not right, but if you read my book, which <laughs> which one of these days will actually come out? I was, about, I was we we're going to get to that a little bit later I, in the I, show. I, I talk about coaching style, and I talk about how you, you know, how you get kids, and I, I'm a, I'm a I'm a big proponent that ultimately, ultimately. The, the, the best way to teach is you have to, to earn the kids' respect. Coach Johnny Halpert from the YU Max joins us here today on That's Life. We're discussing everything going on at Rutgers and everything about athletics and anything about teaching, whether it's within the classroom or it's on the court or it's being a parent. You know, Coach, it's um, it's funny because as uh, at my daughter's soccer game the other day, um, it, it, in preparation for us being on the air today, it something happened that I just saw, thought was so apropos and also so out of character that, um, and I don't know if this is true in every high school sport or definitely not in basketball, but for some reason or another, the refs at the soccer game were speaking to each other in a very unbel- in an incredibly um, cordial, supportive, and almost gentle manner. For example, like one guy made a call and the ref from the other side of the gym says, Jimmy, that was a great call, and everyone cracked up. It was almost like a little southern hospitality kind of a thing happening in the five towns, um, and it, but that kept on going back and forth. And the first time, and the second time, and the third time, like then it just became a punchline, so that every time Jimmy made some kind of a call, good, bad, or indifferent, everybody's like, Jimmy, good call, good call. And I said, and, and even the players were laughing, like, who <laughs> talks to each other that way in the middle of a game? But I said, I'm like, good for them for modeling just kind of appropriate behavior. I had just come back from commuting, you know, back and forth into the city to come to work where a guy had a massive, massive freak attack at a bus driver because his bus was running late. Now, anybody who takes Manhattan Transit knows it doesn't really run to the second. It doesn't, it can't work that way. They do the best that they can. But meanwhile, this guy went berserk. 
berserk as if the world was going to collapse if he didn't get on that bus fest. I mean, he's yelling at this bus driver. So to hear this kind of, I don't know, almost like soft, I don't even know what the right word is, uh, you know, cor- um, uh, back and forth between these two refs was almost, um, it was like the other end of the spectrum in comparison to what we were discussing in sports. People don't talk to each other. Adults don't talk to each other that way. Well, I, I mean, I, I imagine in a Max game, if you have one, one, you know, ref looks at the other one and says, Hey, Bobby, now that was a good call. That's going to, well, I they, mean, every player's going to crack up. Referees, uh, are supposed to at halftime go upstairs, discuss calls and see, and seek their, uh, colleagues, uh, opinions. Did I make the right call? Did I see the right call? And sometimes those discussions don't go so well. But I would say that the, the, the degree of cordiality. That's the, the word I'm looking if there for. Was, yeah. If there was a, an index, would be predicated on the consequences of outcome. So in other words, the, the more the, the higher the level of consequences of outcome, then the, the cordiality uh, spectrum goes down because if, when Winnie becomes to, what is Mike Rice's problem? The bike right ri- now? No, well, right now he's unemployed. But his, right, I was about but, to say that and his, you know, But his yeah. real problem is, is that he wanted to win too much. Mm. And the consequences of winning t- consumed him, consumed him to the degree where he himself couldn't even see that what he was doing was wrong. And by the way, many of his players weren't even bothered by it because for them the most important thing was the outcome. What about the, the athletic director? I mean, the athletic director who let him go, and he inevitably lost his job as well. But the pressure, and again, we are not condoning behaviors, but the pressure that is put on university sports and athletic directors to perform to an utmost in order to, um, you know, increase alumni donations and continue that that camaraderie and that support of the university. There's a tremendous amount of money that comes in it's, there. From it's the again, the consequences there are. Money right. for the university and job, right. yeah, because at that level, the, that level, nobody cares if you're doing nicey nicey. They they say they they say they want you to relate and do all kinds of things which we consider socially acceptable. But you better win. I was about to say, if you don't win, day. if you don't win because the money's not coming, the money's not coming. Why are they, why are we paying you out? And that's and that's that's the pressure they they operate on. And by the way, they operate on it every single year is a new year. Rick Pitino will have equal pressure on him next year, hmm. if not more than he had this year. He may have bought a, despite, a, a, despite at his that, history. At that, at that level, he's bought himself some time. But trust me, if he loses a few years, they will come and get him. Wow. They came and got Bobby Knight. You know when they came and got Bobby Knight? When? When he started to, when he started to lose. When he started to lose. It's unbelievable. So, until that point. What a cycle. That's right. What well, a cycle. It is a vicious Cycle. And then you look at all, you look, I mean, again, not condoning, and we've spoken about Lance Armstrong, but you look at all of these athletes and we say, to what point are, are we as a society driving this, um, this insatiable need for success because there's always going to be somebody else who could potentially be better? Are we forcing Major League Baseball players who are juicing or, or, or college students who are doing things that are inappropriate and bad for their body as well in order to possibly get ahead and get a spot in the NBA. All of these guys who are hoping to be pros or who become pros and then have to worry about the guy who's also becoming pro. Are we forcing them? Are we driving them? Well, look. Um, I mean, I I'm going to sleep tonight fine. So don't feel like, you right. know, Miriam, you're blaming, you know. No, no. I, 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 I think it's uh... – it's, a, it's, it's your value. You know, it's, it, the answer is not complicated. It's all a function of your value system. It depends what, what you prioritize or what becomes the most important thing. If you look at a basketball game and give it the, the following kind of consequences and perspective is I have to win. If I don't win, then I'm a failure. People will laugh at me. Or if I don't win, I'll lose my job. I'll have no money. My wife will leave me. Um, you know, things, if, if that becomes, the perspective, and you have no value system to counterbalance that, which sort of says, you know, listen, you do the best you can, you give it your best effort, and that's all you can do. And if you don't succeed, then you don't succeed, and 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 life will really go on and go on really quite well because there are other things that are more important now. You know, we come out of a value system, which preaches that that ultimately the most single most important thing is what your values are, what your ethics are, what your morality are, and therefore, if that becomes the most important thing, then you don't. It's much easier not to compromise, but you know, at every level, whether you are in a, uh, an accountant in, in an office, you know, drawing a salary of fifty-seven thousand dollars a year, or a basketball coach at Division Three Yeshiva, 
I don't make $57,000, by the way. <laughs> Let's make sure it's get it on the record. Let's get that out there. Let's get that out there right, right now. <laughs> okay. So it, you know, you could be, you, you can be seduced by ego. You can be seduced by money and therefore you can compromise. But if you have a certain value system, then you can't ever get seduced. Mm. You know, I played, I played for, Good, I, I played for a great coach. A genius, extraordinarily difficult coach to play for because he came out. First of all, let's make sure everyone understands this. Comes out of the sixties, right? Coaching and things in the sixties are very different than what's happening today. But he was a screamer. He was a yeller. He was a chair thrower. Hmm. He was a he was a chair thrower. I mean, you know, for so, real? Oh, absolutely. Red was no wow. for that. All right, we're referring to Red Sarachek, by the way. And I and I and I played four years for him, you know, and so my style of coaching. Is 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 actually the opposite, and I I've always my always I always felt that if that I don't believe that's the way you win. Mm. I don't believe you have to do that to win. I've always believed you you, have, you can win by just teaching, and you can win by taking a very very different approach. Now that's that's an argument that I've had with myself with myself after many losses. If I would have yelled more, would they have played better? Am I too soft? Do I not? Maybe I don't yell enough. Because why did the kid in the last minute, why didn't he listen to me? Did he listen to me because he's not afraid of me? Because you understand that the consequences of not being a yeller and not being a screamer is many kids misinterpret that. They misinterpret kindness, kindness for weakness. Right. I've often said to my players, you know, don't make that mistake. Don't, don't make that. But you, right. but you have to preach don't make that mistake. Right. But so, you know, all these issues are pretty interesting. It goes to style. It goes to philosophy. And... and it's it's much harder to be a teacher than a screamer. It's much easier to instill fear than to build respect. Right. But fear is short-lived. Eventually, I believe, the yelling gets tuned out. Absolutely. The respect, you never lose. Absolutely. That's more good, Muster. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am Miriam L. Wallach, joined by Coach Johnny Halpert of the YU Max. Coach, does Mike Rice ever recover from this? Does he go back and does, does he get rehired doing something like this? Yes. Really? Were that forgiving of society or he feels that bad? Because I'll tell you, I saw one of the press conferences afterwards and I really, I bought it. And I, I'm not saying that he was selling me a bit, bill of goods, but when he said that, that he apologizes to the university, he apologizes to his students, and he apologizes to his family who are hanging their heads in shame in his living room, that's when I said, boom, there's, there's real harata here. I, I don't I don't know Mike Rice on a, on a personal level. I only know you know what you hear out in the kind right. of in the industry, and you always got to be careful because most coaches hate each other. So because they because <laughs> they compete against each right. other for the same player, for the same win, for uh. the same job. So, but I, I think how I think, many Orthodox guys are going to Rutgers and not playing for you? All right, I'm just kidding. Go on, yeah. Not, not many. Yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, the phrase the question wrong. Oh, okay. How many guys can? Let's skip that. Let's okay. move on. Let's, why, can't, why, why can't myself in trouble? All right. Let's anyway, move on. so right. uh, I think you know the for, first and foremost. So I don't know if he's if he you know if he's really contrite. To me, it sounds like he is. Right. But I think if he even just puts on the persona of being contrite and goes through anger management and does all those kinds of public kinds of things, he will get himself another job in a year or two because he has proven himself that he can win. Mm. Understand that, that he's being, it, he's being hired. He's being hired to win. He was at Robert Morris and won, and took the a small Robert Morris school to an NCA, and and I think he won a game in the NCA. That's how he got the Rutgers job. He didn't get the Rutgers job because he's a nice, you know, touchy feel good coach. It couldn't care less touchy feel good. And people have asked the question: How could they have hired him? Didn't they vet him? Of course they vetted him. They vetted him, and you know what they found out? Right, that, that he, he won. wins. Right, and he can recruit. And and here's what else they found out: they had no, there was no history of complaints by his players. Really? There was nothing. There's no long history of guys quitting, transferring out, or leaving. You know, everyone sort of poo-poo's that. But the bottom line is, you know, is that, uh, to my knowledge, I, I don't know. That's I haven't seen any history of that. So he is one, and I think after about a time, not in the New York metropolitan area, he will get himself a job. Uh, whether he's truly contrite, you'll only know after he gets that second job. And you'll watch him. I, I, if you're asking me personally, and I base this on nothing, right? But the, uh, the fact that he mentioned the line to me that showed some real, 
some real that is real, real genuine feeling was when he said his family is inside is, is a shame. And I right. agree with you about that. Right. I, I, that was to me that that what I what I sensed there was was that. This guy real, all of a sudden woke up one day and said, oh, my God, look at me. Right, exactly. He and, looked in the mirror and he yeah, said, oh, and, and, my and again, God. And again, I think he was so consumed with winning and getting to D1, big time, ESPN, and tournaments. and Oh, it's so easy to get seduced. It is so, so easy to get seduced. It's so easy for me to sit here in this chair and pontificate, you know. Right. Uh, you know. But uh, at that level... Boy, that's that, that's very tough. And I think one day, I think he woke up and he said, "Oh my God, I am a monster." Oh my gosh. I think so. I hope so. I hope so because you know what? The guy can't coach. He's no words. Yeah. He's got the skill. Yeah. Let me let me let me be very specific when I say no. He can't. You know, the truth of the matter is, I don't think he can coach. I think he could coach. Huh. I think he, I think he has okay. knowledge and he has fundamentals and he has a good sense of the game and all that kind of stuff. But right now, he's not a coach. Because he's he's using techniques which I think are counterproductive and which got him. And the only good that'll come out of it is I think there are many coaches out there who this has scared the hell out of. Mm. Because now what happens is the bar has been all of a sudden. Look, this he's, he's not a carbon though. We're not sacrificing him. I mean, you we said at the beginning of the conversation that this was a lynching, and I I, I heard that. I hadn't right. thought about it, but I heard your point. I really right. did. But he still should have been fired. Right. But he shouldn't have been lynched. I got and, it. And, and he, by the way, he had his trial back in December. Right. And they chose back then to go rehab, which, by the way, in our right. modern That's day another so- conversation. Yeah, but our modern day society, you know what? You can say some pretty awful things and come out and say, I'm sorry, and the next thing you know, you're back on the air. Oh, absolutely. We don't, we, all right. So, how, about, how many politicians we could have on right, right now and so talk I'm, about so that? So I was kind of, st- I'm kind of struck by all of a sudden that this decision to go to rehab, listen, he was fined $50,000. He was publicly humiliated. He was told to go to anger management classes. How many, how many employ, how many bosses have called in workers who've been involved in harassment cases and given them the exact same punishment and have been commended for their sensitivity and understanding and willingness to give, to forgive? As a matter of fact, if you go look at union contracts, if they wouldn't have done A, B, C, and D, the guy could have sued and gotten his job back. <laughs> so, all, but all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this, this, the, the athletic director had to be fired because he did this. So, what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is again is is the you, the world of YouTube where there's no place for context, no time for context, and there's politicians get involved. And once that happens, once the governor once the governor came out, he was right. history. Oh my word. Well, you know, and everyone, everyone loves Chris Christie, and I'm a big fan of him. Is also this was a case where shooting from the hip was inappropriate. Right. Was so. his was his involvement um, out of line, or because Rutgers is a state I school? I think his involvement was not out of line. I think his comment and his, and his rush to judgment was out of line. He had they had a mechanism in place there which they used. Right. There was they a, used there a was mechanism. A there was a system, and the Correct. system came out with the following decision. Okay, you want to rant and rave? The decision was bad. Fair, fair. I would have voted. If I had a vote, I would have said we've discussed it, we've reviewed it. I'm not voting for rehab. He stepped over the line. Right. No more. But if someone voted for rehab, you wouldn't say that that policy was, oh, my God, what are you, crazy? How can you vote? We vote for rehab every day of the week in this in our society. In, tw- in a 24-7 news cycle where everyone is thirsty for something, right. that there is no time to process. I, right. I completely Hear that again. Let's preface it again because right. I don't want to go home. I was about and, to say, I, I, please don't send any emails that say I can't believe you think Mike Rice should have kept his job. We did not he say should that. have been fired. Right. Uh, so, but listen. Does Rutgers as an athletic program ever recover? You know, here's the problem for Rutgers. Rutgers' problem is now is that recruits may shy away. Oh. It's going to hurt them for a year I didn't or two. Think about that. Here's what's guys are going guys are going to transfer. Because here's why: because guys sense that the program's a little in, unstable now, and means they're not going to win. And for players, the most important thing at that level is to win, be on television, and go to a tournament. And once they sense that's not going to happen, they're going to bail and go someplace else. And new recruits coming in are going to say, "Well, I don't want to walk into this. I don't need this. I have offers from wherever X, Y, and Z. Right. Stable program. I know who the, the coaches. They don't know who the new coach is going to be. They need to if." From a ba- business basketball point of view, strictly, they need to hire a coach tomorrow. Hmm. The recruiting season is now. They need to get a coach on board. Recruiting season and- is now. Sure, now, now it's late already. Many players have already made commitments to schools for September. Okay, for September, and players who haven't are about to 
And the only players who haven't is because they're, be, they're being recruited by multiple schools. I mean, there are kids in New York City. I mean, there are all kinds of all-star games going on right now. Coaches, you go down and see, you can get, see every top coach in the country if you just go down to a couple of these all-star games. And because those kids are making decisions now. Well, Rutgers is not even in the mix mm. because they don't have a coach. There's right. no one to talk to. So they need to get a coach tomorrow morning from a basketball point of view. And, you know, so he can get out there and say, hey, guys, you know, it's going to be okay. So uh, will Rutgers recover? Sure, there have been programs who have been suspended for two, three years and uh, couldn't play in the NCA, which is, which is, that's, that's the worst in terms of from a recruiting point of view. And they're out there now playing, prospering. So yeah, they recover. It's funny, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if there's a more of a prevalence of it or I'm just noticing it more, but post the Penn State, um, debacle, I noticed many more Penn State bumper stickers and and signs of support and shows of support. And I didn't in the New York area. And I didn't realize, or I I, I don't know if I stopped to think as to whether or not they were there all the time, or people post Sandusky wanted to come out and show that they are still a proud alum. And I wonder if the Rutgers alum are going to rebound the same way. I'm sure that they're taking a hit. I'm sure they're taking a hit. This is not Sandusky. Let's not right. right. This is not that. But I'm sure they're taking a hit. I'm sure they're they're either you know wondering about what their next move is or what the university's next move is, and either there's going to be this outcrying of support and this um, you know allegiance to the university that they've always felt and their and that this pride, or people are gonna you know stay quiet for a little bit. I think the, uh, the Rutgers situation is not Penn State because Penn State was a national powerhouse with a Joe Paterno who was the king of college coaching. So, therefore, they had a much more loyal uh, following, a much bigger following because they're winners and everybody follows winners. Rutgers basketball and even football to a certain extent, it's only recently that Rutgers football has has emerged, has not had this long history of winning. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I, my last recollection of what Rutgers really being a winner were in the 80s. So they don't have this long tradition Um of winning, and therefore they don't have the same kind of emotion. They don't have the alumni have the same kind of emotional ties to the mm-hmm. basketball program as the football players have to Penn State. Um, so therefore, I think in that regard, they'll just sort of you know back off and and see how events present themselves. And if they get a right coach and they start to win, then alumni will, will come out. Bottom line is, fans, supporters, students, all of us. We follow winners. I was about to say, you know, <laughs> it's a big joke about being married to a Met fan while I'm a Yankee fan. And, uh, you know, oh, yeah, you love them until they start losing. But, no, I'm still watching the games, and the season is very long, and we are very uh, right. just a couple games in. Well, it doesn't matter the level. People, Agreed. people it, Sports is about winning because We're life. We're going to love Girardi as long as we do well. Right, because, because life is so much about losing. So you, people gravitate to sports. Why do people follow sports? Because they have it. It's an outlet. What do you mean it's an outlet? It means it's an opportunity to have success and win. Why do people go crazy when their team wins the World Series? Because they secretly feel they've won the World Series. Absolutely. And they live through a win because the next morning when they wake up and go to work, they have all these frustrations. Right. And the other thing people love about sports is that there are winners and losers. Many people are sick and tired of living in the world of gray. You win some, you lose right. some, very, good days, bad days. Even if it means that win only lasts for 24 hours, you got the win. I tell my players all the time after a win, I said, they start with the next game. I said, no, 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 there will be no discussion of any next games for 24 hours. I declare a 24-hour simcha period <laughs> where you spend the next 24 hours only thinking about this win. After the 24 hours are over, then we can start going forward. Otherwise, you'll never enjoy what you just had. That's so it. just enjoy it. Love it. Okay? And now well, we're in the playoffs, right? You won the game tonight. We had to get into the playoffs, right? You're in the playoffs. Don't ask me about our opponent. I don't care about our opponent. I'm not going to think about our opponent. I'm going to spend the whole day just thinking about tonight's game and loving every minute of it. And then tomorrow night we'll come back to practice. At 8 o'clock, I'll blow the whistle and I'll say the following to you. Okay, last night's game is over. Let's go. <laughs> Coach Alpert from the YU Max. We have a couple more minutes, and I've kept you over time, but I, I really should just have you on for 60 minutes, and you know we can do that another time. But two more questions. Sure. Two more questions. Number one, if we can talk about the Yankees for a second. Sure. Let's talk about Mo. Let's talk about Mariano Rivera <laughs> because it's his last season, yeah. and everyone's trying to get in the game where he's going to close, and you can take your last picture of him coming out on the field, and it's amazing. How long does his 
does his glory, how long does his reputation, his legacy last? Forever. He's unbelievable. Forever. Whether, and by the way. There's no one like him. That's right. And and by the way, that includes Red, Scott, Red Sox fans. Right. 100%. It includes every opponent he ever beat in the playoff spot will still follow him and still respect him and admire him. Every player who he struck out will. Because here is a man, like we've just been talking about that, right, who has not only done it year after year, but in the biggest spots, in the most important spots. And he's done it with such dignity and such class, no jumping, no chest pounding. He comes in, does his job, shakes your hand, smiles, walks off, and comes back tomorrow night and does it to you again. Mario Rivera? And there are no scandals. There's no scandals. There's no this. There's nothing in the inquirer. He's family. Just, fine. Right. I mean, everything, everything you could possibly believe in is exemplified in Oh, yeah. Listen, there are some athletes. I remember when I was a kid growing up. So the Yankees, you know, Dodgers, uh, Yankees, Dodgers, Giants. So Mantle, Maze, and Schneider. Mm-hmm. Well, when they came on, came up to hit. So, you know, I remember my brother yelling, Mantle's up, Mantle's up. And you'd, you'd drop anything. You'd drop the, the, the cupcakes in the kitchen. Whatever you'd, run you were in, doing. you'd run in and say, and to watch Mickey Mantle's hit. Or, or Maze is up. And right. same thing with Snyder. So a guy like Mariano Rivera, a guy like Michael Jordan, in my time, you know, to me, those are the two guys who just were incredible, you know. And they never pounded their chests after the victory. They just let the victory stand. They just mm. let their shot and their pitch stand in their own wasn't merits. wasn't about them. Right. So these are guys that, you know, you're fortunate. If you want, you get you get a chance to see these guys like this. Right. So, no, ever, forevermore. Oh, my God. And then we were talking off the air um, before before we started about uh, the yard site, the Rubs yard site, the commemoration uh. that's taking place at YU, and I'm – Totally not making the segue very, uh, doing the segue very well and talking about Mariano Rivera and talking about the Rub. But um, we had commented that there's that there are no tickets left. There are no tickets left. Why he was completely sold out. And Rabbi Brander was on this morning, um, along with Rabbi Adler and Rabbi Wienicker on with Nachum this morning, talking about the uh, the upcoming yard site and um, their relationships with the Rub. And you and I were talking about how, um, you know, no one has filled his shoes. You, you can't the, first of all the, 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 there is a segue here okay because and, Mate, you and, make it not I, me I, yeah right and, <laughs> and, and, and please I think everybody understands that. Deal, right. Right. Yeah. Right. but the fact is people love Mariano Rivera this is I know this is ridiculous but it, but psychologically it's the same process they love him for how he has performed how he has held himself that's in the base, baseball arena the Rav is admired and respect for how he's held himself in his arena, which is essentially the, the world of values and learning right. and Torah. Is they value him for his knowledge, they value him for his scholarship, they value who he is, his whole persona, and how he's how he's carried himself. He's a, that's what makes a great leader. Right. The, the Rav was a great leader, and no one has emerged, and no one will emerge. Until the people have decided that's the man. Lokambi Israel Kamosha O. There's just and and, yeah. and and you and this is that the the the, the, the fulfill fill the shoes of the rav is not something you're appointed to. Mm. It's not something you're elected to. You are there, and the people elect you. It's the the position of the rav comes from the people. The people elevate you. The people raise you up. Only thing you can do is be great mm. and be silent. Moshe didn't apply for the job. Moshe didn't right. want the job. Right. The chances are when someone wants something, that's the guy maybe you don't want. <laughs> that is good, Mr. Also. So, I mean, so, I mean, it's, everybody understands. We're not, we're, no, we're not I know, making it. But, 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 but to a great extent, you know, if you take a look at the Torah and you take a look at what God tells you what, what, what a king is supposed to be. It's no big secret. Go take a look at what he says. You want a king? Here's what a king has to be. It has to be all about service. He's serving you. You're not serving him. It's the difference between Moshe and Korach, right? <laughs> Don't collect too many horses. Don't get too rich. And what else? And so most of you always walk around with a Torah in your hand. If you walk around with a Torah in your hand, then you have a pretty good chance of, of doing that. It's, right. But it comes from the people. It comes from the people. No, it's, um, it's an incredible point. But I guess uh, – Coaching comes from the players, you know. Coaching comes from the players. You know, it's very, it's very easy to become a coach. It's much harder to stay a coach. Someone someone calls you into the office one day and says, hey, you want to be a coach? Hey, I want to be a coach. Okay, here, you're a coach. 
Doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're a coach. Right, doesn't, doesn't mean you, you stay it. as a coach. Doesn't mean you've got because it. we all know many coaches get get the coaching job for the wrong reason, especially right. in our world. All right? right. Okay, but now, but if you stay a coach, only 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 stay a coach. You gotta get you gotta earn the respect. That and, is... and and if you don't do that, eventually they'll come and get you. And they, by the way, they should. You're right. You're 100% right. Coach Halpert, I thank you as always. Very welcome. Thank you, Miriam. As always for joining me here on the air. You've been listening to That's Life on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Miriam Elwalk, joined by our next guest. Devorah Shockett, mother of four, 39 years old, joins me on the phone right now from Woodmere, New York. Devorah has an interesting story. She was recently diagnosed with ALS, otherwise known to many people as Lou Gehrig's disease. And what is fascinating about Devorah's story is that she is far from alone. She is part of a study of Ashkenazim um, being conducted at Beth Israel Medical Center about a potential link between, a genetic link, I should say, between Ashkenazim and Lou Gehrig's disease. Hello, Devorah. Hey, Miriam. How are you? I am doing very well. You know, I want to, um, before we get into the genetic discussion, which uh, I'm not a geneticist, but before we get into that genetic discussion, I just want to give you so much credit um, for people who are not friends with Devorah on Facebook. You should be. And um, she has been spearheading her own refua is the way I, I look at it. You are an incredibly proactive person in getting as many people involved as possible in davening for you, to heal him for you, so that basically you're pulling out all the stops. I appreciate that. Um, has it been, um, what, was it a difficult moment to decide that that's the way you wanted to handle it? There are some people who would say, you know, we're going to keep this quiet or private, but you have really gone to Facebook, the airwaves, blogging, etc., to encourage and um, almost uh, like court as many people as possible, and to your credit. I mean, I mean it, it's unbelievable to, to, to get as many people as possible. It wasn't hard at all. What happens is, is I was always very proactive with my children, with myself. And if I kept inside, I wouldn't get the help and support I needed. Also, people tend to talk. If I told one person, the whole world would know. I figured the more open I'm about it, the more help, the more doctors, the more treatment, the more support I'll get, which has happened enormously. Yeah, I'm, I, I can imagine. I can imagine that it has. And you know, being a part of the Five Towns community, we often get a lot of criticism as you know, being aloof and being to ourselves. But when it comes to pulling together, there really is nowhere else. Right. The Five Towns community is better than any place in the world. There, it really is. You've been receiving you know, assistance in terms of you personally and your family and everything else? Uh, not just assistance, friendship, support, Anytime anyone's going to the grocery store, I get a phone call. I get a phone call. How are you feeling? People I never had anything to do with are reaching out to be supportive. Have um, how can you can you slowly or 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 because again, uh, you know, with people understanding or don't understand as much obviously as you do about ALS. Um, you started with a couple of symptoms. Your mother had ALS, and then somebody put all the picture the the pieces together. Well, my mother had ALS. She was actually ill spring months, and hers progressed really quickly. Mine started with my speech about two years ago. I went to every doctor under the sun. Nobody can diagnose what was wrong with my speech. Over the summer, over the Yemen seven, my fire motor school started beginning. After the whole Hurricane Sandy fiasco, I finally had time to go to a doctor myself. I went to a specialist, but that is that he was able to tell me that it did indeed have ALS. And um, what was your what was your next step? Uh, what do you mean in terms of the next step? So the, you were you were diagnosed, and your you know family support, etc. Um, and then, so what adjustments, I guess you would say, are in terms of course of treatment and your and your everyday, um, you know, your everyday uh, going abouts, I should say, what was was then altered? 
Right. Well, right now there's no cure for ALS. There are treatments, there are medical trials, there are all different kinds of experimental treatment. Right now I'm on two medications, which just slow me down. And we are approaching every single doctor that has anything that can help us. We've been in touch with uh, Boston Mass General in Boston Mm -hmm. for a trial there. We've been in touch with doctors in Israel, doctors in, where else? (laughs) Doctors in Emory, doctors in the Mayo Clinic, and doctors in Bogota, Colombia, believe it or not. Wow. Are you really going to Colombia? Uh, no, because it's well, thank God, thank God has moved to Boston. <laughs> Boston is a lot closer than Bogota. I was about to say, that's a much closer commute, having yeah. to, yeah, Boston, Bogota, they might sound similar, but there's definitely less of a commute. There's, uh, right. there's, um, also, in getting into the genetic discussion, how did you, um, get involved in this, uh, in this study? Well, my doctor mentioned it to me right away because my mother had it. And then ever since I've been diagnosed, because I'm in public, every single day I hear of another Jewish person who either has a relative with ALS, has ALS, or has somebody in their family who died from it. When I mentioned it to my doctor, he said he was doing a study on exactly that. Wow. And he asked me to help him get these people to contact him to get tested so we could have a study and somehow isolate the gene and prevent people in the future from getting ALS. ALS. That's, how long has this study been conducted? Uh, I mean, when he did, just started. He just started. And you said that um, since you were diagnosed in February, you have heard of over 40 Ashkenazim. Over 40 Ashkenazim from people who have ALS. That is, I mean, as you wrote to me in the email, coincidence? I think not. Too rare to be a coincidence. I think that, right. that I think that's an understatement. I I wonder if um if this if this um you know testing, depending on where it goes, whether the same way I'm sure you uh, the same way you and I were tested and and cleared for Tay-Sachs before we got married whether or not this is going to be something that people are screening for as well. Well, that's the direction they're going in. But they can't go there until they can isolate it. Right. So the so the testing is in its early stages. But, right. do, but Dr. Daniel McGowan at Beth Israel ALS Center in Manhattan is the one who is conducting those studies. Right. Uh, but just so that we can get his last, his last name spelling, it's M-A-C-G-O-W-A-N. For anybody who is interested or as family members who um, have recently been diagnosed with ALS with Lou Gehrig's, you should definitely be reaching out to Dr. Daniel McGowan at um, Beth Israel to help along with these studies. Um, Devorah, just like, you know, in in, uh, one or two things, just so that people understand, what has your daily, what has your day changed to? I know you post things on Facebook that are so remarkable. I think you posted one Friday, I think it was before Yuntif, something like made six briskets, grilled ten chickens, made three cakes, did two soups, and whatever else, and then you said something, you know, that uh, that ALS can uh, take a walk, so to speak. Like, right, but basically, I used to cook a ton of food, I used to bake a ton of food. My fine mother's clothes are growing. I cannot open a bag, I have to use a scissor. I have trouble cutting, but I have help in the house. She's able to have me cut and peel and prep stuff. So I'm still able to do stuff. And until I'm no longer able to, I'm not stopping. <laughs> I would I would say that that's the understatement of the century because more that you're not stopping, you have really, I mean, it's, it is completely remarkable and a credit to your spirit just how proactive and um, take charge you have been in terms of your diagnosis, the way you're handling it, and your voice that you have, you know, become uh, this and started this blog and and really gotten your message out there in terms of 
um, how to handle this, how to handle this challenge or any other challenge that somebody could be facing. I think it's a, I think it's a real testament a to your spirit and b as a role model for anyone else who faces a challenge. Right. Well, thank you. One thing I felt was I have two choices. Everybody has two choices. I can send them all of self-pity or I can move on, make a difference, and go on with my life. I, I, and because of this, we have started a foundation to help raise money for whatever I may need as well as people in the future. Right. What's it called? Uh, the Shubatavara Foundation. And people can find out information about it on your Facebook page? Uh, not yet, but there is a boost funding page where the money is going in the meantime. Right. People At can go to boost funding. Right. At this time, we have to make the house handicapped accessible mm. and at some point build a bedroom and bathroom on the first floor. And we're looking for people to either donate contracting help, assist us, and somehow get this done really, really quickly. Right, right. You're, and um, so people who are interested and would love to help need to go on rootfunding.org, correct? Right. Rootfunding.org, and they can find Devorah's story. Um, anybody who's looking for her on Facebook, by the way, it's Devorah with a B, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, Danielle Shockett, S-C-H-O-C-H-E-T. I recommend highly that you follow her blog, that you read her story, and do anything that you can. Our listeners are always very supportive and very generous. Anything that right. you can. My please... blog is on Tumblr. Okay. It's Q-Rest with the T slash Devorah. D-V-O-R-H on Tumblr. Excellent. And, but, but but you also posted also on Facebook if anybody right. goes on your page, right? Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, Devora, I wish you a, an absolute, complete refuah shalema. Thank you so much. And anything that we can do here, please be in touch. For sure. Thank you so much. And anybody that I can help, please, please reach out to me. I, I will I will pass that along. Okay. Thank you. Pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am Miriam Elwalk. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to have to cut short my outro because, well, as usual, I'm going over time. And I do not want to miss my first a cappella song, even though it is Sphera. We do want to close with a cappella. You will be listening to a cappella on the stream for the next number of weeks. Um, but please make sure to stay tuned. We have a full day of programming. Randy, with uh, something to talk about, comes up next. It is a fascinating story. She pulls excerpts of an interview with her grandmother as a Holocaust survivor that was recorded 25 years ago. You don't want to miss that. Plus, of course, Ellie Hagler hosts the Jewish Reaction. Daniel Gordon has on Dr. Carol Leventross. We're talking about March Madness, gambling, and alcohol abuse within the high school student realm. It's really a, a fascinating conversation. You don't want to miss it, of course. The Thursday Night Extravaganza hosted by Nahum and then Michael Fragan and Charlie finish the day. You do not want to miss it. This show will be rebroadcast Sunday at 1 p.m. on NahumSiegel.com. My thanks, as always, to Coach Halpert for an entertaining uh, segment, as as always, and informative. And to Devorah Shockett, you should make sure to go on RootFunding.org. I'm sorry, find her story, and please help in any way, shape you can. My thanks to Yael and my thanks to Avrami and to Duke. I am closing today with A.K. Appella's Anavim. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Shoshemelech Hamoshiach. Oh, yo, 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 yo,
Oh, 